Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm your host, Chloe Lula. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Honey Dijon to the podcast, an icon whose reputation precedes her. Originally hailing from Chicago, she grew up going to raves in the 70s, eventually beginning to DJ and produce alongside contemporaries like Derek Carter, Mark Farina, Danny Tanaglia, and other artists who shaped the Chicago house music canon. Throughout her career, she's been an active spokesperson for trans rights and a champion for the BIPOC community. And last month, she put on Honeyverse, an ode to house music and queer Black culture. This was one of her most ambitious projects to date, a multi-platform Honey Dijon experience at the South Bank Center in London. The event spanned multiple days and nights, and it brought club nights, live sets, orchestras, and conversations together into a takeover that drew its inspiration from her roots in the Black queer community. She talked about this at greater length in the live RA exchange she did as part of Honeyverse with host Josh Cafe, a London-based DJ producer and promoter. She tells Josh about her connection to house music, a musical practice that originated in the streets, and as an art form made from rejection, has always been marginalized in the annals of music history. Honeyverse is a way to give visibility to the voices that were lost in its development, she says, and to create a greater platform for queer people and artists from the Black and Latinx diasporas. Honey is an artist of many facets, and she also discusses her connection to fashion and art, how she manages to stay sane while touring constantly and splitting her time between Berlin and New York, her daily exercise routine, her love of sourdough bread, sex, feeling like an outsider, and probably most important, how to cultivate love, joy, and self-acceptance. My superpower is self-acceptance and not giving a fuck what other people think about me because it's none of my business. That's my superpower. Nice. When you are trying to find yourself, there's no mirror for that, you know what I mean? And so I thought, oh, you know, but if I just bought that or if I look like that and, you know, because at the end of the day, it's about validation and love. And I realized I kept asking and asking and they kept changing and kept changing and I kept asking and it wasn't happening. I said, fuck this, I'm just going to do it myself. Video clips of the interview are available on Ari's Instagram and SoundCloud, where you can see Honey slowly strip for the camera throughout the interview. I definitely recommend checking it out, but until then, stay tuned for the full interview here. Without further ado, here's the one and only Honey Dijon. Wow. Thank you. Oh, how Janet Jackson is this? This is very, very, very rhythm nation. How are you? It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Yeah, I think the last time I saw you was at Panorama Bar in Berlin. Yeah. 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 Last time was Panorama Bar where I, I jumped on the deck and I nearly, As dropped, one I nearly, does. I nearly kicked the CDJ off uh, while I was trying to like Vogue on there to our track. Yeah, see, that's the problem with voguing in a DJ booth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not meant for the booth, kids. It's not made for the booth, honey. Um, so uh, you're living in London now, right? I moved to London in February. 
Which is so crazy. I've been coming to London so many years, and, and it was just the right time for me to be here, and it's awesome. And I live near Heathrow. Oh, God. I know everyone's like, everyone's like, you need to go east, you need to go east. I'm like, fuck that. I need to be close to the airport. Every time I would come and stay here, I was always in shortage. And it was like an hour and a half to two hours in a car. Just to, you never knew what, what you were going to get going to the airport. And I was like, yeah. I go to the airport like people go to the bathroom. So I'm like, no, <laughs> I need to be near the fucking airport. So, so London's been treating you good, though. And I'm obsessed with Gales. Oh, Gales is good. <laughs> That's been my, like, thing, sourdough bread from Gales. I'm such an easy fucking lad. Like, Jesus Christ. So we know where to find you on a Sunday when, you're, when you come back Sunday, from the gigs. Sunday, Tuesday, <laughs> Thursday, Gales. Nice. That's a turn up. Wow, it's a turn up for me. So we're going to talk about various things today. Your music, yes. um, art and fashion. Music, art, fashion and sex. And the community and sex. Um... First of all, thank you guys for coming. Thank you for coming to Honeyverse. This has been such an amazing, amazing experience for me. You know, I've always tried to live my life from a point of art. And being a black trans woman, I didn't want that just to be my story. And so it was important for me to share my culture and my art and my beliefs and things that sort of elevate queer culture because without queer culture, this place would be so fucking boring. Yeah. And so I really tried to give voice and visibility with the platform that I've been blessed to have to what I think is just a magical culture. So Exactly. Well, that's go. nicely leading into the first question that yes. I'm going to ask you. Segway! Uh, <laughs> um, so putting Honeyverse together and, and doing something like this is it's a huge, great thing for you. And talk to me a little bit about the creative process you went through and working with the South Bank, like how, how did that all kind of come about for you? They approached me actually to put something together. I've always felt that house music deserved just as much respect and credibility as any other form of music that has been created from a marginalized, I don't like to use that word, but from the streets. And so I grew up in Chicago. And so there it was so segregated and so racist that when you were a queer person, if you wanted to go into spaces that weren't for black people, they would ask you for five or six pieces of ID. And, you know, this was really a black and Latin art form. Although house music, I had friends of all nationalities and all races and all gender expressions. The way I experienced it was from that perspective of black queer culture. And I always thought it was art because this was art made from rejection. This was art and made safe spaces um, by, for themselves, by themselves. And also what a lot of people don't talk about when they talk about the roots of house music, that this happened at the same time as the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. So there were so many people and so many voices lost. So I always felt that if I could be a conduit of putting this information back out or regurgitating what I learned. And so this is what Honeyverse was about. It was about sort of sharing. I, my art has now been called experiential. Oh, girl. <laughs> That's a big fucking word. I was like, okay. <laughs> experiential hands. So, and when I was writing Black Girl Magic, I always, you know, Frankie Knuckles said, house is disco's revenge. And so I always connected to music from a songwriting perspective. I always thought that, you know, I come from Chicago. You, we have raw jack and ass a house and beat tracks and all this kind of stuff. But there's also a history of disco and lyrics. And I would always get lost in the songwriting and the lyrics. Like, I'm a huge South Soul fan and a huge nice. prelude and West End fan. And so... 
When I was writing Black Girl Magic, I always wanted to perform it with a live orchestra. So putting together Honeyverse, we just had many conversations of how this would look like and what it would look like. And I wanted to have different Black queer experiences with Alawaya and Cakes the Killer as long as well as house music, yeah. yeah. It's good, and that's really, again, leading nicely into the next question, because adapting your music, which is, you know, really deep-rooted in the spirit of Chicago and right. with house music, you know, turning that into something more orchestral, did you find there were a lot of similarities in doing that, or was it, were things quite different, or did everything sit all right to kind of add in the gospel choir and add in the, the orchestra, like, because... I mean, that's, it's, that's you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, well, if you think about the roots of disco and the roots of R&B and the roots of jazz and gospel, I mean, it's all from the black diaspora. And so I've never really, I, I don't, I live without borders. I know I speak a lot about how this is a black movement, but you can't talk about house music without the European influence. You can't talk yeah. about house music without craft work. You can't talk oh, about too. house music without British synth pop. You can't talk about house music without pop music and we're all human and it's all the human experience. And so I didn't think it would be difficult because house music to me is spiritual music. And, you know, there was a way that you could do it with, in an orchestral way because it was just obvious to me. And I thought if I wrote really great songs, you could, we could have done it in country. We could have yeah. done it in hip hop. We could have done it in acid jazz. We could have really, that's the thing. When you write good music, it transcends borders. Totally. And again, you've shone the light on some amazing queer artists like supporting on that. Yeah. How did you go about kind of choosing that? I just fucking like them as people. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I always love that Quincy Jones statement, your art is neither better or worse than the human being that you are. Yeah. So I just thought they were fucking cool kids. I met Cakes actually at this really famous hip hop photographer. His name is Eric Johnson in New York. And he took the Biggie album covers and the Mary J album covers. And so it was just this big black queen and so sassy and bitchy, which I love, you know. <laughs> uh, that's the New Yorker in me, you know. That's, yeah, that's One and so who can read the other one fiercer. And then, you know, there's <laughs> that if you can hang, we can hang. And so that's what happened with Cakes. And Alawaya, I just thought she was really beautiful. And I, I first connected with her art, actually. I saw her art. Everyone can talk shit about Instagram, but it is actually, it can be a tool for meeting other creatives and connective, yeah. falling in people's DMs. And I just sent her a message, say, hey, I really love your work and I really love your music. And then she asked me to do a remix and voila. And, and here voila. we are today. Well, here we are, which is great. Are these, are these glasses bothering you? I'm having a Not French the, Grace Jones uh, fashion moment. You're serving are you, a look. Is the look okay? Okay. Glasses on. I'm not though. trying to be shady. I'm not high. <laughs> I, you know, I slept last night. I'm just trying to channel my inner grace. <laughs> We're reading the room subtly. So, Grace Jones, um, yeah. who is um, She's a my huge inspiration for yeah. both of us. Um, she created the Meltdown here. Like, I can only dream about getting a call to kind of come and be involved and, and create a night right. with her here. Like, that must have been, like, such... I mean, experience. actually, this is a true story. I wasn't expecting to dance like that. I haven't danced <laughs> like that in years. And I felt like Grace, her energy was there. I use this term a lot called mirror of affirmation. You can't be what you can't see. And Grace, for me, was really the blueprint of, she just broke down everything for me. I mean, yeah. from visuals to performance art to art direction to singing French tort songs with Jamaican backing band and 
if you've ever seen the nightclubbing album, you know, the Blazers, Giorgio Armani. Yeah. So, you know, all these dots, you know, I would sit and just look at the album cover for hours and the hair is by Christian, this Dutch hairdresser. And I'm a freak for like details. <laughs> I like read everything. But she connected fashion and art. And if you've ever seen, you need to run and see a one-man show. It's on YouTube. It's mind it's, amazing, yeah, the, it's, um, it's like nothing you used to have ever seen before. So she changed everything to me about what it meant to be an artist, she broke down gender. At that time, around black culture, it was all about hair and gowns and nails and you know all of that, which I like. But for me, like as changing. someone that's queer and discovering who they are, she was someone that really reflected like, oh my God, I can do this, you know? That you don't have to be traditionally beautiful, you don't have to fall in gender norms. Um, the masculine and the feminine are, are part of the same equation and everything is for the taking. So yeah, she broke that down for me. Did. And also, like, I mean, Putting on this kind of event is something I can only dream of doing right now. But mm -hmm. I guess the closest for me has been, you know, I performed at the ENO with Fabric and mm -hmm. um, I'm putting on a show for one night with a band in that kind of space, which was like the biggest gig I've, I've done, drove me insane. Like I, I had anxiety, I didn't sleep for a month, I had anxiety dreams, I was touring as well. How did you manage? to stay sane, like putting all this together and your tour schedule, like you must have been like, girl. <laughs> Being broke as fuck in New York. <laughs> it's a real true story. I was like, you know, I, I don't want to date myself, but trying to be an artist, I transitioned at the same time I tried to be a DJ. Being a fucking DJ is hard enough. Try changing genders, it's like, and, and like, you know, I would DJ for six hours for a hundred bucks and 20 of that would go to taxi, so $80. And I always said to myself, if I ever get the opportunity to work and all I have to do is get my ass up and go to work, then that's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. But I have a really great team now and really great support system that allows me to do all these things, the fashion collection, the DJ touring, the making the music. I feel like I don't have staff. I'm not that bitch yet. I'm working towards <laughs> staff. But also, I'm just like, Hungry, I'm a Gemini, so I'm insatiable. I have an insatiable appetite, and I hate sleeping. Same here. Like, it's just like a waste of fucking time. <laughs> I don't mind sleeping with people, but I hate sleeping. <laughs> that part is the fun part, but going to bed and like... You know the saying, we'll sleep when we're dead? That's pretty yeah, much they, Yeah, one. but you won't know, so yeah. it's kind of an oxymoron. With some rest in between. But I just really love to create. I always felt like... The joy for me is not the end result of anything. The joy is in the process of creating. So I just get off on it. It's like, it's like an aphrodisiac for me. I, just, I wish I could do more. I'm trying to squeeze it all in, honey. You know? <laughs> exactly. We're going to yeah. keep turning it, you know? But I'm also like, I, it's going to sound really crazy. I don't drink. I don't eat meat. That's the boring part. I work out every day, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this body. But I mean, honey, this is know, why you're looking fine. like this. Wait, let me get it. The jacket is coming off. Oh, yeah, the jacket off, yes. Yes. <laughs> I might even take mine off as well. She paid for everything, honey, from the <laughs> shoes to the hair, it's all paid for. <laughs> okay, so, music. Music. We get to 2022, yes. and you release Black Girl Magic, yes. which I'm a collaborator on, and we have a track. Yeah, that was the, yeah, La Femme Fantastique, which was based off of Slave to the Rhythm from exactly. Grace Jones. Yes, yeah. yeah, and you know, that the album is about celebrating the unifying spirit of house music, um, but also in your words, being explicit, shameless, raw, and honest. And that's mm -hmm. something that really resonated with me, and it's an approach that I took making my own album, because I felt like 
you know, as a queer artist, being a black queer artist, there's a lot of mm. shame that comes along with our upbringing and stuff. And interpreting house music in the way that we do is such mm. a important thing. You know, it's like radio stations can be like, we're not playing this because the content's too sexual. Da, da, da. And it's like, fuck you. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, this is our life. So, I, you know, I guess that was a very important thing, message you wanted to, to bring across with the record. It was important for me to own the narrative of my sexuality. I really feel that it's always through the gaze of someone else. And this record for me was sort of an expression of that. And I wanted to work with a lot of female identified artists. And I wanted to work with a lot of queer people because somehow our sexuality is through the lens of patriarchy. Yeah. And I really wanted to own that narrative. And that's what a lot of my work is based upon. Like, I don't complain, I create. I don't believe in asking for permission to exist. I'm here, the world is for me, it's not just for you or whoever is yeah. in the system. So I really wanted to do that. And then it was also a love letter to my favorite house albums, which was Journey Into the Lonely with Little Lewis and Tourism by Danny Teneglio. There's like Great. heroes to me. And so it's a, it's a bit of a texture of the record. It's a little bit hard, a little bit soft. Don't be afraid. It's sort of a nod to Front 242. Like, I love industrial music. I love, like, this is the thing about growing up in Chicago. It wasn't all this segregation. You know, there was so much cross-pollination. Like, I went to the New Wave Club, the Gay White Clubs. That's where I heard Erasure and Depeche Mode. And, Same here, yeah. You know, it's called social mobility. <laughs> You know, so my social mobility, because being such an outsider, I never really could find my place. So you go to all these different social gatherings to try and find yourself. And so, and also being a DJ, I would DJ the opening of an asshole because I wanted to DJ so bad. I did weddings, I DJed at restaurants, on top of bars, you could put me in a bathroom. So I was DJing, which is so different from the new generation because they think, oh, I'm gonna watch a couple YouTube videos, get some decks, and I'm a DJ. Get a great social media person, and I'm a DJ. No disrespect if that's the new game. I know the kids no play, shame. you know, but for me, but it's, it's like, it's like true, you know? Yeah. DJing has become content instead of creation now. So it's really important for me to like, push that craft forward. And so this album was really just sort of a celebration of all the different musical influences for me. Everything from Quincy Jones to Front 242, The Clash, Marshall Jefferson, Green Velvet, who I am obsessed yes, with. Green Velvet. Green Velvet, Grace. Um, I, most people don't know this, but I listen to a lot of 70s rock when I'm not working. I love Steely Dan and Carly Simon and all this kind of shit. Like, I listen to Aja like 50 times a week. <laughs> but also just to learn sonically. Yeah, exactly. How to take that emotion, because I don't look at the past in a nostalgic way. I'm not a nostalgic person. I look at the past in a critical way. What can I learn and put forth and, and, and expand on these conversations? Because I feel the whole concept of new is just capitalism. And as long as we're talking about it now, it's in the present. Yeah. So that's my two cents on that. <laughs> and I guess working with various featured artists on, on the record, um, and I know this from experience myself, sometimes it's really hard to see how that's going to sit as a final body of work. Did, oh. you, did, you, did you know that that was, like, was that kind of curated before you did the, the album? Or was it like, no, wow, everything wrote. kind of came together? 
I mean, we had about 20 songs. I mean, there's a song that I did with one of my idols from Nitzareb, Douglas McCarthy, that didn't make the album. Yeah. Um, we have a bunch of instrumentals. Like, I have like 30 tracks sitting around. It's like my Prince era, <laughs> just sitting in a vault. But yeah. we just chose the thing that there was a thread. Actually, yeah. it's so funny, the opening poem was a last minute switch up because actually I wanted to work with Junior LaBeja from, from Paris is Burning. So there's this whole Junior LaBeja monologue that hasn't come out yet. Um, wow. It didn't work out, so then we worked with Camila Wahid, and, and it's just a, it just turned into something else. And then I thought, oh, this is a celebration of love, this is a celebration of joy, this is a celebration of acceptance. And so when you're writing something, the music sort of dictates where it's going to go. Totally. And so you just are sort of this vessel of creative energy. And so there wasn't a blueprint. I just brought in all the influences, all the music that I loved, um, what direction I wanted to take it in. And a lot of writing is just hanging out and having conversations. Exactly. And then you will spark an idea from a lyric or just a simple conversation. And so putting the track list together was really, it took a life of its own and it basically created itself. Yeah. And it was very different from the best of both worlds. And I, does anyone know why I call that the best of both worlds? Do we have any smart <laughs> people? Shall I expand upon why we call it the best out. of both worlds? Because in trans sex work, you, go, you see where I'm going with that? <laughs> you get the best of both worlds. Ain't that right? So I was like, that is such a play on words. And, and a lot of people took different meanings from it. But for me, it was just taking something that is considered negative and turning it into something Yeah, positive. turning it into something yeah. positive and bold. And it was very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Exactly. It's good to have that I'm Because I'm a silly bird. I like to <laughs> laugh and talk shit. So. <laughs> the video animation series was genius. Awesome, right? It was really good. And um, if you haven't seen, the, seen this, it's uh, an animation series of three singles, uh, including the film four. Four singles. And so we made that during... Well, we wrote this album during lockdown, and I think it was, the album came out in 22, but we, it was actually done, most of it in 21, and this was after George Floyd. And, and so how could we artistically tie in sort of the oppression that was happening in, in America, which is, it's even gotten worse with all the gun violence against people of color. Yeah. They're basically hunting people of color in America. And so I really wanted this sort of to be a reflection in an artistic way of the oppression that people of color go through globally because, you know, we talk about liberating black people in America, but it's about people of color all around the world. None of us are free until all of us are free. So I really wanted to do this creative thing to sort of bring that culture of oppression back into this animation series. So it was really great. And I love that you embraced this kind of superhero person for La Femme right, Fantastique, La Femme Fantastique, which is yeah. good. And that was pretty much how I imagined it when we like, wrote the song. On that note, if you were a I mean, I think trans women are fucking superheroes. Exactly. You have to deal with like, 100%. I mean, the amount of shit you have to deal with society, you have to deal with family, you have to deal with medical intervention, you have to deal with romantic partnerships, which are quite challenging for everybody, but even more so for trans people. So it's like, you know, they're fucking superheroes to me. Just to get up and walk out of the house and make it home, it's, you're a fucking superhero. Exactly. On that note, if you were a superhero, what would be your superpowers? I already have them. <laughs> <laughs> My superpower is self-acceptance and not giving a fuck what other people think about me because it's none of my business. That's my superpower. 
Nice. Yeah. Uh, Which took a long time, by the way, because when you are trying to find yourself, there's no mirror for that, you know what I mean? And so I thought, oh, you know, we'll get to the fashion conversation later, but if I just bought that, or if I look like that, and you know, because at the end of the day, it's about validation and love. And I realized I kept asking and asking, and they kept changing and kept changing, and I kept asking, and it wasn't happening. I said, fuck this, I'm just gonna do it myself. Good. Good, good. I mean, if this animation series, would, would you ever turn it into a thing? I think it'd be, it'd be really cool. I want cool. to do a sex like, movie next. Getting, <laughs> getting, 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 a, getting a call from Marvel and be like... We Has there been that. an animation? Is that called? <laughs> What's the animation st- sex stuff called? The Japanese animation? <laughs> oh, uh, um, anime. Anime. Oh, get some anime, It sounds girl. like anime bullet. Yeah. But it's <laughs> anime, okay. Okay, so... That would be a great um, jet drag name, anime. anime. Anime, yeah. Eat the cake anime. I always think, what would be a great drag name? <laughs> Anna May. <laughs> Mr. Anna May. Mr. Anna May. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. The look and feel of real Miss Anna May. I love that. She'll come she in. Comes she'll do in. a backflip. She'll do a backflip. Black flip, and then, like, Duck walk to us. <laughs> Change lace fronts in the middle. <laughs> so, fast forward, Beyonce does a house record. Right. And it's like... Who's Beyonce? Ring, 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 ring. Hello? Um... What was that feeling like getting that? Because honestly, if it was me, I would, have, I would have fainted just, and probably yeah. just drank for like, like straight for three days. Good like. So my manager got a call from Parkwood and he thought it was like going to be like an Adidas collab. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I'm taking these things off. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's better to see my facial expression. So we're sitting home and my, and my agent, my manager was like, oh, Parkwood called, I'm having the call tomorrow. And I was like, oh, you think it's a, like a sneaker collab or something? Because yeah. I was living in Berlin and sneaker collab, Parkway. <laughs> and they had to sign an NDA and then it was like, well, you know, Beyonce is running this tribute to black music through the lens of dance music. She wanted to do disco and house and everything. And so... This is the part that fucking freaked me out. She wanted to go to the source of house music. And I was like... <laughs> didn't Uncle John... I know what, 50 un- fucking other people that are the source of house music. Like, there's Derek Carter, there's, like, Ralphie Rosario, there's, like, so many people. But I was... That, to me, that was so flattering Course. that she thought she considered me to be that. Um, I'm a student of house music, so for me, that was really flattering. We had conversations about it, and I thought, okay, well, if we're going to do this, then I, w- I sent her books on voguing, I sent her books on queer theory on Paris is Burning, we made track lists and playlists, because and, I wanted to make sure that how would a black girl from Texas really understand the queer roots of house music. Yeah. And so it was important for me that she got it right, because I knew if she didn't get it right, the children would be oh my reading. God. The kids would have been like... No comeback from that. (laughs) What is this bullshit? You know, because you can't fake that sort of authenticity. And she knocked it out of the park. And and she was so respectful of of the culture. And what she's doing with the tour and Renaissance is bringing the kids from the culture and from the street, the Vogue. The dancers are incredible. If you haven't seen Renaissance, like the thing that gagged me, she had, I didn't know about this. I'm like at the fucking stadium and then the house music anthem goes across the screen. And it blew my mind because I never would have imagined that something that I've lived my entire life would be presented in this sort of global arena. And when I met her, 
she was so generous and so loving, and she smelled really good. I have a thing for people. <laughs> like, she smelled so fucking good. And that hair and that skin, I was like, girl, I need numbers now. Doctor, I need et numbers. Did she give you any? No. Just <laughs> Beyonce, of course not. Um, I didn't know what was going to be on the album, and we didn't even know if anything was going to make it. So I found out that I had two tracks on the album the same day that everyone else in the world did when it was, wow. the playlisting was leaked. We were kept in the dark. I would go to secret meetings in LA and they were like, oh, listen to this, and, but we didn't know. I didn't know. Crazy. And I mean, obviously then leading to winning a Grammy, I mean, like, I mean. you must. <laughs> so you did good, girl. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a mind fuck, winning a Grammy. The first black trans woman in the world to win a Grammy. Yes. Darling. Also, can we note that... Darling. Can we note that you are the first black trans woman to land a top 40 hit single on the Billboard Hot 100. I didn't know that. <laughs> so awesome. You and, you and T.S. Madison. Thank you, I didn't know that. Um, my dress was inspired by Grace's I saw it, Alaya yeah, with the, dress with, yeah, that, was that she wore to the French César Oscars in 1985. That was my homage to her and, and like the fact that I was at the Grammys. The Grammys is a trip. Has anyone ever been to the Grammys? I mean, it's, it's a so, trip. It's a long-ass show. It's, it's a long-ass long, show right. and a bitch had on heels and you had to walk this fucking carpet. And, <laughs> I'd be I sat by the end of it. I sat next to Big Frida, and we were talking shit, <laughs> and it was like, but it's a trip. It's like going to like a high school play, except everyone's a fucking superstar. <laughs> and they get up on stage, and they have their. Ex I'd like to thank God. 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 But also, there's like, <laughs> but also there's like really weird categories that you're just like. What I'd like is to this? thank God. <laughs> I was like, God, I think, okay, got the memo. Everyone's thanking God. I want to thank my hairdresser. And I want to thank my, for making a bitch look good tonight. Oh, I need water. Give me some water. Uh, get some water. So we're going to move on. You recently received the Leslie Lohman Museum of Art Lifetime Achievement Award. And for those of you that don't know, it's uh, an award for pioneering work in the LGBTQ community. How important was it for you to receive this and be recognized for your work? Like, and, and do these accolades, do they, is it like a thing for you? Do, you? do you need them or are you kind of happy to do the work and just be like, I'm just doing this to, for the kids, you know? Um, you know, it's, when you're living your life, you don't really think about these things. I mean, for me, the success is like, okay, most black trans women don't live beyond the age of 35. And so, my success is I'm still able to be here and have these conversations, you know. I, you know, I transitioned on the mean streets of New York and motherfuckers were brutal and ruthless. And the fact that I didn't get my ass kicked or, or killed um, is a miracle in a way, because this was before we have all of this trans awareness and things like that, so. But it was also a bit of a homecoming for me because like one of my idols, Connie Girl, was there, Connie Fleming. She was one of the first black trans women to walk from Mugler in Westwood, and she was a huge mirror of affirmation for me. But just to be recognized for your community um, is such an honor. And getting that award from Leslie Lohman was, you know, just, it wasn't, for, you know, I feel like everything that I'm doing is just not for me. It's for my community. 
it's for women, it's for, any, it's for everyone really, because the one thing that I believe about trans culture is that um, we're liberating everyone, you know? And so to receive that award for my work, because I feel like the, the Lifetime Achievement Award, goddamn, like, I'm, makes, makes his I'm life. like still fucking living. I'm not that <laughs> damn old yet. Like, shit, I, I got a whole other fucking 40 years to go and they give me a Lifetime Achievement Award? <laughs> but it was a free trip to New York. It's good so to I get one. Yeah. <laughs> one at least, yeah. Just one. I hope the next one is something different. Vanguard Award. I want yeah, a Vanguard Award. Yes. 100%. Yes. So we all know you're from Chicago. I'm born and raised on the south side of Chicago. I'm black as fuck. I know I dress it up real nice, but <laughs> so I will cut, cut the motherfucker out in two minutes or less. <laughs> but no, um, south side of Chicago. And um, my parents moved me to the suburbs. And then I left home at 19 because I was grown like that. I was like, I'm out. I had a great childhood, but my mom's, you know, I, I was just that bitch. I was like, I got to go. And I moved downtown and I supported myself. I worked at a department store as the hotel phone operator. And then I got fired from that job because I was going out and shit. And then I took a job working at a hotel, the midnight shift, so I could keep my sleep schedule for the club. I kid you not, because I wanted, I was going out all the time. And when I went out, Derek Carter was my best friend. And so I grew up in loft parties and basement parties. And, and so I, I took jobs that didn't conflict with my clubbing schedule, darling. That's how that works. <laughs> it's got to fit in, sweetie. Yeah, and that was my education. And, and like, there's so many clubs. I know everyone talks about the warehouse and the power plant, but there's so many, those are just the two that became famous. There was Normandy's, which was a Latin gay club. There was Cheeks, which was a black trans club. There was AKA's and Subterrana and Windy City. And like, I mean, it was so rich and so great. And so that was my education. What's I was a dancer before I was a DJ, actually. Okay. And uh, is that something you'd like to pursue even more now as a dancer? Or? <laughs> if the dollar is right, hon, don't do anything <laughs> for like the dollar's right. <laughs> I always say I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in New York. Mm -hmm. You know, like any place where something is birthed, they take it for granted and yeah, that bitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's a new generation that's rediscovering it and um, it's great. There's a really great festival that I love to play called Arc Festival. Smart Bar has one of the best. Smart Bar is the best. There's a party called Queen that's been going for like 13 years yeah. and Derek Carter, Michael Serafini, Garrett David. Um, it's the best party in Chicago. But it's still fun. I mean, New York will always be my stomping grounds, you know. I stole everything from New York. <laughs> okay, so then moving a little bit forward onto fashion. To fashion. Fashion, darling. Mm. It's a very important part for you in music. I see. Was an idea presented for you to go into fashion, or was that something that you always wanted to do at some point in your career? I always loved fashion. I just know if there was a place for me. I never saw myself in fashion. I was terribly bullied as a kid, and so... Fashion and art were sort of my safe places. And music, like I talked about Grace Jones, was such a huge fashion inspiration for me. And I always loved art school bands. You know, before you had stylists and teams of people, you know, people would actually live the art that they were creating. And so clothing for me was never aspirational. I don't like anything that you aspire to because that means you're trying to be something other than who you are for me it was about inspiration. So I use clothing as an expression of an expression of who I am. And I was broke and I used to go to thrift stores and put shit together what I saw in magazines. And 
I always hoped that I could be a part of it. Like, oh, I could model one day, but where? Oh, I could be a where? Yeah. Um, so I met a lot of fashion people DJing in dingy gay bars in New York. So that's how I got into fashion. <laughs> I used to DJ at a bar called The Cock. Yes. Has anyone heard of The Cock? It was so full of vermin. While people were in the back room doing shit, roaches were growing across my mixer. And then they had go-go. so fucked up. It they have so go-go dancers on the bar. Yeah, but I miss go-go dancers. Right. I love go-go dancers. I, I actually, like seeing ass on the stage. I, the, one of the second times I went to New York, I met Roxy from Ride Committee. Yeah. And rest in peace, yeah. yeah. And um, Ride Committee is like a huge inspiration for me. So like to meet her in New York was great. But then we went for dinner with the guys from Horse Me Disco and then they were like, let's all go to the cog. Yeah. And we took Roxy and she got so drunk on tequila. As one does. As, <laughs> and, then, and then basically did get her live. And yeah. I was literally just like, wow. And she blew everyone away. Because she hadn't been in New York for so long and... It's the power of the cock. It just it's the power. <laughs> Everything that has manifested in my life has just been from loving something so much and willing myself into these spaces. And so I met a lot of fashion people at the cock. You know, I met, I guess I'm spilling tea now. <laughs> Narcisa Rodriguez used to do the coat check just for shits and giggles. I met Hedy Slaman there. There's a magazine called Visionaire, and editors will come there. And then, so slowly, I would get invited to DJ like after fashion events and yeah. after parties. And then it turned into the CFDA Awards, and then it turned into meeting Kim Jones, and then that turned into doing the music for Louis Vuitton, and then blah 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 blah. So there's all these connecting of the dots. And so, but the thing about meeting these people, I've always worked with people that have the same sensibilities that I do. And so, yeah. me and Kim really connected through Paris is Burning and. New York nightlife, and he's a huge collector of London designers. And so all of these things are sort of, I don't see them as separate, really. Yeah. So how I was able to start Honey Fucking Dijon was really just meeting a very influential person at Panorama Bar and dancing. I was like, I want to do a clothing line. And they were like, okay. <laughs> it was literally that fucking simple. Wow. But I had always in my mind had this idea. So Honey Fucking Dijon was really about celebrating the music and the vernacular and the sayings and the imagery from black queer culture from house music. So I really just started that because I'm going to talk in business talk. There was a space in the market for something that wasn't in the market. <laughs> so you always find a gap in the market where something isn't being exactly. made and you fulfill that space. And so yeah. that's what I fucking did. Good. And has the fashion industry been kind? Fashion industry is a beast. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think of myself as instead of using music, I use fabric. So I don't see anything different. Fashion is fashion. I mean, <laughs> one day you're in, the next day you're out. Um, it's been generous to me. I mean, but I also realized that I had to create that space because, you know, it wouldn't exist yeah. if, if I hadn't created. So it was out of necessity. But it's been very difficult. I mean, now it's even more difficult because of what is happening. You know, everything is because is marketing now. Yeah. It's not so much about, like everything in the arts, it's more about content than creativity. So yeah. it's, I think it's challenging to be a creative across all sort of creative disciplines at the moment. Totally. Um, and the funny thing about that is like, I never cared about being, I know this is going to sound weird, choosing a career as a DJ or in, in being a fashion. I didn't really care about being popular. I wanted people to connect what I was doing. Yeah. And I find now as a creative person, find your audience. Do your thing. Don't worry about what someone else is doing. Don't compare yourself. 
find your people because I don't think it's so much about being this huge behemoth anymore. I think it's just about finding your community and speaking directly to your community. And blocking out a lot of the noise because I think like... It's hard to do. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. When you're you're starting out, I mean, even more so now. Yeah. So you have to talk metrics now. Yeah. (laughs) Content, 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 content. content. Keep posting. Keep posting, I know. But having said that, you know, this boiler room that I did in 2018, without that, I don't think I would have be where I am today. So you have to, like everything in life, there's the straddle, there's the good and the bad, and you have to take both. I constantly go back and forth with like being on Instagram and being present. And then, but then I'm like, you know, you, you try to remember like, you know, music was sold and people knew about you before this like can we go back to that and then I'm like am I just being really old school and stuff and then then I'm like right get back into it and then you have to kind of protect your mental health and be a bit like and take a step back so it's it's just constantly like juggling emotions I guess and and trying to protect yourself and not feeling like I have to do this to be validated right you know what I mean I came to the realization that I don't have to engage yeah. Like it can go on, but I just, I have Jomo now. Do you know what Jomo is? The joy of missing out. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Fuck FOMO. It's like. <laughs> That goes to show you because I think if, if you really think about that, that's about self-esteem and self-worth. Like, oh, you know, I'm not doing that. So I have to, you know, um, I look and peek. Okay, you know, go girl, all right, knock yourself out, you know. <laughs> but then if you're worrying about someone, what someone else is doing, then you're not handling your shit. And so you need to handle your shit. You've uh, collaborated with some iconic queer artists, artists yes. Robert Maplethorpe. Robert Maplethorpe? I really want a t-shirt from that collection, by the way, just letting you know. It's on sale. <laughs> <laughs> See how people ask for free shit? Uh, and on, on a stage, they will stop at nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I, it's good. I don't thank you. About good. Yeah, um, and also um, Keith Haring. Keith Haring, yeah. So Jean-Michel Basquiat. Yeah, and how how important were these artists to you growing up, and how important was you to incorporate their art? Because you know, to have access to their estates, I think it's such a an amazing thing. You must have been. Well, first of all, I was very honored that. They said yes. The way that I approached Keith's work and Robert's work and John's work was, I said, I don't want to do anything that Uniqlo's done. I don't want to do anything that Tommy Hilfiger's done. I don't want to do anything, because all that, you know, they're doing that for commercial reasons. And so I wanted to look at the side of their work that really spoke to me and, and what I was doing. And so I looked at, Keith Haring had a real deep connection to club culture in New York. You know, he yeah. did early flyers for Junior Vasquez for a club called Baseline. I used a lot of his unseen work mm-hmm. that I was able to, Gil Vasquez of the Keith Haring Foundation was so lovely to let me use. And with Jean's work, he used a lot of jazz when he was painting his work. So I wanted to focus on his relationship to music. And with Robert, I wanted to focus on the controversial art of the black male body because his work is controversial because you had this white gay man photographing black men and it was it objectification, was it sexual desire? And so I really just thought as a black trans woman taking this queer art from in that context, it was sort of give it new meaning and new eyes. And so it was looking at a side of their work that really wasn't so commercial in a way. Yeah. Also, I'm really, 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 really adamant 
about focusing on all of the art and voices that we lost to the AIDS crisis in the early Tattoo. 80s. My favorite time in history is 1977, which is the beginning of disco, to 1985. I'm just still learning so much about that time, about all these artists that passed away from AIDS, because you had two generations of artists that highly creative people and the audience that understood that art. Yeah. So the B, C, D list people came up, and here we are today. I'm trying to do activism and giving these incredible, incredible people. Keith died of AIDS at the age of, he moved to New York in 77, was diagnosed in 87 and passed away in 90. Mm -hmm. So he did that vast amount of work in 13 years. Yeah. Basquiat died in 88, Robert died in 89, and Keith died in 90. And, and they did this prolific amount of work. And so I've always been such a huge fan and, and I'm really, really interested in who decides what we see? Yeah. Who decides what's good? And who's gatekeeping what we don't see? And I'm interested in the shit that we don't see. Yeah. Because in the law of physics, what you also don't see exists as well. So that's where I like the dark, darker side of life and, and looking behind the curtain. <laughs> so my whole creative process is about shit you ain't seen yet. <laughs> Even my DJing, my DJing is literally an amalgamation of so many people. I mean, you know, I, I was so blessed to go to Body and Soul and I was so blessed to, to hang out in the booth with Danny and, and hang out with Derek. And one of the first times I went to Body and Soul, I was, I was blown away by it. Cause like the, just that sense of community there. Like you can, yeah. go and, you can go and get the fried chicken. There's people rollerblading everywhere. I wasn't so like, happy about the no fried mixing. chicken. There's no mixing. It was just fried chicken. It was so cute. But. <laughs> but it was like, it really opened my eyes. And I had a really emotional like moment while I was there. It, it, was, it was like, I'm so glad like, I got to experience it. Yeah. If, even if not back then, yeah. you know, at the time when it was still going. So You know what I love about that dance floor in particular is that it was multi-generational, yeah. it was multi-ethnic, it was gay, straight, purple, green, yellow, and, and it was for the love of music. And that's what I do or try to do with my work. I don't want it to be this all one monocultural, monogender, I, like that shit bores me. I don't want to go to anywhere where it's one color. Yeah. I'm out. And that's one of the things I love about Berlin and Panorama Bar is the multi-generational. There's no shame in someone advanced in their years dancing to someone that's 20. Yeah. And I think it's so important that people, if you're 50, 60, 70, if you like a certain type of music, you feel like you can't be a part of it because of societal bullshit. I wish it was more like that in the UK. I feel like a little bit it's still marketed as a young person's yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think it's really unfair because this music is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're 90 or 12. Yeah. And speaking of Berlin, how many years were you there for? Six. Six years. Yeah. And do you miss the city? Do you, are you, was it a, like a time has come to move on? Um, it was a great time for me to recalibrate. I felt that I had done all that I could do in New York and I was spending a lot more time in Berlin because at the time when I moved there, it felt like what New York felt like. There was yeah. a sense of the wild, wild west and you know, the marathon clubbing from Friday to Monday, the after hours. It felt free for me at the time that I moved there. I spent the pandemic there, which was really difficult because, you know, Berlin is a very great city and yeah. spending 24 hours in your house <laughs> in a great city wasn't so much fun. It's been very good to me. Panorama Bar has sort of put me on the map in Europe as an artist and it was great, but there came a time where I just wanted to do 
something different. And my music with Luke Solomon was here. We were making music. Uh, a lot of these Dover Street Market Paris, it was easier for me to get two-hour trains from London. It's just my life shifted, yeah. and I needed to follow. I, I really am a firm believer in just being safe enough to listen to where your life is taking you and not trying to go against that. And I missed my big-ass apartment in Berlin, oh my God. in Kreuzberg. I had a 150-square-meter <laughs> fucking flat in Kreuzberg. It's a little bit smaller here, but it's not <laughs> I don't miss the having to get on two flights to go to Ibiza. Yeah. Like, if I wanted to go to Ibiza, it was six hours. Wow. Because you would have to go from Berlin to one of those places, like Spain. <laughs> Barcelona, Madrid, <laughs> one of those places. And going on that other airline, Voiling, like, oh, it's a disaster. Voiling. <laughs> London felt right. I've, what I've always loved about the UK and London is its love of culture and music. And it's a house town. And, you know, the UK was one of the first places to embrace house music. And so it just felt right. Yeah. And, and, I'm think, loving it, and it's great, and I'm getting used to the sarcastic sense of humor and <laughs> gales, which I love. Selfridges, I love. Dover Street. Dover Street Market, I love. Have you been to the matcha bar in Selfridges? They have a CBD matcha bar. Child, I get my life on that fucking CBD <laughs> matcha bar. The thing about London is that you just could walk down a side street, and then it's like something you never knew. It's like yeah. It's just like... Discovery, 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 yeah. discovery, discovery. And I think coming out of lockdown, like nightlife-wise, especially in the in the queer scene, it's mm. it's really good. It's so vibrant. Now, there's yeah. so much going on yeah. there, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of competition between yeah. like the nights. Everyone's just going out and supporting yeah. one because it's like. And thank you for receiving me with such open arms in London. Thank you. I mean, this is incredible. <laughs> that you guys show up to hear me talk and support what I do. So thank you. I, I'm so appreciative that London has welcomed me so graciously. You gotta say that, yeah. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna stick to my New York, Berlin bullshit because I'll sound like a knob talking. Cheers, guys. I know what knob means. I learned that one. Exactly, yeah. And why is the word bloody so bad? Is that like a curse word? Is bloody like fuck? Bloody? No, bloody's all right. That's all right. Okay, I'm gonna say next time I'm at next time I'm at Tesco. Can you bloody hurry up? You can use it in that way. It could be like, oh, that's bloody grey. That dress. Also, it could be it could be a good and a positive. Yeah. Ah, thanks, kids. Use it as much as you want, babe. But like, if you really want to curse someone out and and cunt, cunt. See, that's a positive word where I come from. Exactly. But this is the thing. If what the fuck? Cunt, cunty, cunt. So the, when a trans girl is looking, if she's presenting really cis, she's so cunt. cunt. But if you say that word here and you, when you go out in the street and someone's... It's, it's like the worst all. thing you could okay. say. So but it's, talking... we, we embrace it as, oh, okay. like the Americans do as well. We're at such an esteemed cultural center and we're talking about cunt. I know. <laughs> See what kind of show this has become? <laughs> Back onto a bit of fashion, yes. you've walked in various fashion shows, one of yes. them being GmbH, and also you were saying you've met people like Hedy and, and Kim and, and done music for Saint Laurent, all these brands. What do you prefer? Like, do you prefer walking down the runway and serving or creating the music or, do it, or both? Do you... I'm greedy. Yeah. <laughs> I like it all. The most important fashion show that I walked for was Virgil's last show. Yes. And they stuck me behind Naomi Campbell. 
Like, I'm like, um, hi. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I really got like all those years of carrying on at the club, bitch. You got to bleed out because you're behind Queen Mother. And it's like, you can't look stupid. So um, I knew Virgil and, you know, me and Virgil, we would meet up and, and go shopping at Gramophone Records, which is this legendary record shop in, in Chicago. But when I was asked to walk, his last show last year that was really special because and and, and I met Cindy Crawford and so wow I went up to her because she's from Chicago also and so I was like I got the perfect icebreaker because she was her first photographs by was one of my favorite fashion photographers Victor Skrebneski and she was in the Chicago Film Festival poster so I went up to her and was like Cindy <laughs> hi um you don't know me but I love that Skrebneski photo that you did with you know for yeah. the Chicago Film Festival oh my god you know and so that was my icebreaker. I was, <laughs> and so I got to meet Cindy Crawford. And also, if you know, there's a very Amazing. famous Prince song called Cindy C. And so all these things are like Prince, Scribness, Gay Fashion. So everything with me is full circle. Like, yes. you know, but it was great. But walking is super fun. It's just like, I like creative chaos. I mean, I'm just one of these people. I mean, I work in nightclubs for God's sake. So <laughs> listen, I'm so blessed. I get to wake up and choose my day. Does it get any better than that? Yeah. I get to say what I want to do and what I don't want to do and what I get to engage in and people interested. I'm good. So for me, being able to do all of these creative things, so all I've wanted in life was to live my life creatively. Would you ever turn your look collection into a runway show? Would you ever attempt to do that? Do you have to? I don't know. I, I think, mean, it, I think, I think there's room great. for everything. I think great. Never say never. Yeah. You know, there's another word I've been told I, I do as firsting. It's not to be confused with fisting. It's called firsting. And so I would be into doing a fashion show. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot, yeah. It's but a it, lot I mean, of it would be pretty iconic. Yeah. Did, yeah. So what's next in the world? What's next? What you got coming up? Uh, I'm working on my next album, actually, after last weekend. I actually went into the studio on Monday because I'm a workaholic. Just expanding up on my art, you know, I. I want to do my own magazine. That's something that I've always wanted to do. I'm a, I have a huge archive of, of magazine and media and graphic arts. So that's the goal of mine, to keep working on my music. I'd like to do some more community work for trans culture because it's such a huge backlash. The more visibility we have, the more yeah. backlash there is. So I think it's important to give back to the community and um, just try to do more unique parties. Instead of complaining about the state of dance music, create the thing you want to see. Exactly. And so just I've, creating those kinds of spaces. Yeah. It's such a waste of time and it's negative vibration. And I think, you know, if you want to see something in the world, you, you, you can't wait for someone else to anoint you. You have yeah. to really do it. It took me years and no one cared for years and years and years. And then, you know, I, I just, I'm hard headed. I'll like keep doing something yeah. until something happens. Yeah. You know? I've always felt like I had nothing to lose because there was nothing ever there in the first place. And so just I, I'm a real big proponent of just keep doing the work. Yeah. And also we're still, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but we're still kicking doors down. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And even in 2023. And so like that drive will always stick. I mean, it definitely sticks with me and I know it will stick with you. And it's like, you know, it's something that we just have to keep, got to keep hustling. Better. I mean, no is a really great motivator. I always think of no as not yet. Yeah. So you just keep doing the work. You know, there's still things I get told no for. Oh, we forgot to talk about being in the Victoria's Secrets fashion show, did well, we? Well, we're, we're coming up to that. <laughs> plug, 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 plug. Oh my God, it sounds like I'm giving head on this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
I mean, I don't sound like that when I'm giving hair, but it's like really noisy. I'm a quiet head giver, darling. I want you to feel it, not hear it. Yeah, but they like to hear it, right? That's me. <laughs> and on that note, Victoria. <laughs> yes, I'm loud in that's, sex. That's, it's okay. That was the sex part of the, yeah. of the conversation. I, I'm very sex positive. I think it's. I think sex yeah, is exactly. funny and pleasurable, and I don't have all these sort of. No, exactly. Things. We don't. We don't need. We shouldn't be shaming away from, yeah. from things like that. And I like uh, dirty talk. So if there's anyone who wants to talk dirty to me, <laughs> they feel free. <laughs> We could do a really good phone sex line with our voices. Oh, phone sex. That's a track. We should yeah. do a phone sex line track. Like just... for that. So, Victoria's Secret. Yes. What's happening with this? this is it worth... It's coming out September 23rd. It's like, this, it's like a film. They did a film, and I'm one of the people in the film, and I'm... It was a, that was a weird, another funny phone call, because like, I get these funny phone calls, because I always think it's music related, and yeah. then it turns into to be something different, and so that was a very nice surprise, and I hung out with Emily Ratajkowski the whole time, and it's just like, we just laughed, and just like, she's such a cool girl, she's not the image that she has, but when you hang out with her, she's like a really down-to-earth New York kind of girl. Yeah. But it was funny being on the set with all these really big girls like Hailey Bieber and Maria Carla Boscono and this one and this one and this one and this one. I always take it, it was just, it was fun. And when, and when is this film? September 23rd. And it's, is this going to be like a premiere on a it's gonna streaming be premiere. platform? It's going to be on or? streaming platforms. I don't do the PR, darling. So no, I don't no, no, know I know you don't. <laughs> but I guess if you go on Victoria's Secret's Instagram, you can find out everything. <laughs> <laughs> with Honeyverse yes. and the success you've had with this, would you see this as a traveling? I hope so. You know, the funny thing about this is the first time we've ever done Honeyverse with a live orchestra and everything just fell into place seamlessly and it was so great doing that with my music partners. But, you know, during the first round, I was like, oh my God, we could add so many more things to this now that we know what it looks like. And so hopefully the goal is Madison Square Garden. Plug. Oh my That's God. the goal. Amazing. But we just want to keep building it and, and, and bring more into it. And there was so much more to say. The show was only 75 minutes, and it felt like five minutes. Yeah. And the vocalists were so great. And I've always wanted to tie gospel and jazz and orchestration. Yeah. It's just really all the things that move me as a human being, all the sonics that move I mean, me. Working with being. gospel singers is like... They were great. And I, I saw the, the footage that you put on yeah. social media, and it just, it just looked like, wow. I get to do this. I'm like, I get to, I'm a fan of everything that I get to do. And so I just, I'm always geeking out that I get to be in these spaces and people care to listen to what I have to say. And, and just being able to, like I said, continue these conversations of people that we've lost to AIDS and also black queer culture that are not here to, to keep the culture alive. So I'm trying to, instead of, oh, oh, it's great 20 years ago, you know, I'd rather just show people. And just like today, there were shit nights and shit parties and shit music and blah, blah, nothing's really changed. But I just think it's better to, to show people through the work and let the work speak for itself instead of talking about it on a soapbox. I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Are we done? We're done. And thank you guys so not, much. Thank I, you I, very much for coming and thank you. And oh, you guys are so kind. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They say love is love. He loves me platonically, yet romantically I'm floored. His love language is touch, and I need more. They say love is love. 
Thank you for listening to this RA Exchange with Honey Dijon. Many thanks to Josh Cafe for moderating, to Adam, Jasper, and the team at South Bank Center for facilitating this conversation, and to Honey for the great interview. The track playing in the outro of this episode is Love Is from her LP, Black Girl Magic. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the RA Exchange and listen to our full archive of conversations on ra.co or on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. If you have ideas for guests you'd like to hear on the podcast or stories you'd like to share, please send us an email at exchange at ra.co. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care. A love in a way most ain't ready for. You breathe out, I breathe in. You breathe in, life begins. Now don't get it twisted, I love me some me. I ain't going front, it was a lesson well learned. Scars once earned, now fuel for the only well deserved. They say love is love. Love is an energy, 528HC frequency vibrating through me. Loving you is easy. The ultimate test is to love thy enemy, and I love you all. Watch me work this love is the reason my head is held high. DJ love helped me survive, so I let go my love has no pride. They say love is love. They say love. They say love.